It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. I'm your host, Nikki Cannon, and we have a great show for you today. I am joined by a longtime friend of Fed Talk, John Adler, who serves as the vice chair of the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund, and he also serves as the president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. So welcome this morning, John. Hey, Nikki, great to be on the show, and my apologies for making you uh, say that very long sequence of titles. (laughs) No problem. We are also joined today by the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association new executive director, Pat O'Carroll. Good morning, Pat. Hi, Nikki. Good morning. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that the folks in our federal law enforcement community have been working on and some of the upcoming community and charity events that we have for you folks to come out to. So I actually want to kick it over to you first, John. You have a big event coming up in October, right? That is correct. So uh, coming up on October 15th, we are going to have the Run for the Badge event. Now, uh, this event, uh, beyond what I'm going to talk about in terms of the event itself, is very important because this is the 25th year commemoration of the dedication of our National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Wall. That is the wall at Judiciary Square where the names uh, inscribed of all of our fallen law enforcement heroes um, since our wonderful country was formed. We now have 20,789 names of our fallen law enforcement heroes inscribed on that wall. Mm -hmm. So partly in commemoration and honor of their memory and the profession itself in our country, uh, we're going to kick off the Run for the Badge event on Saturday, October 15th, 9 a.m. So what is the event? The event is a timed 5K walk or run for those in shape like myself, probably more inclined to walk. And... Uh, it kicks off, and so what's the event about? It's really, in addition to commemorating the, the, the dedication of the wall and, and honoring our heroes and sort of bringing the community and law enforcement together, we also want to sort of promote awareness of just the value of the unity of community as well as the honor of the badge. So I say that anybody listening out there in, in radio world, if you're in a taxi, you're in an office, you don't have to have a badge in your pocket to join and participate in this event. And I encourage you to come on down, uh, partake in whether you want to walk or run. The registration fee for an individual participant, a runner or walker, is $40. Um, in terms of fundraising, you know, our goal is to raise $123,000 for this event. So why 123000 Well, sadly and tragically, we lost 123 fallen law enforcement heroes last year. So in honor of that number, 123, you know, our goal is to raise $123,000. And where does that money go? That money goes towards, uh, more recently, efforts geared towards erecting our first National Law Enforcement Officers Museum. So for those out there on the road, I apologize for the construction between uh, or on E Street between 4th and 5th. We are laying the foundation to stand up the first National Law Enforcement Museum. So proceeds from this event coming up will go towards that. And, Nikki, I'm anticipating a question, where can the viewers go to learn more about this event? You can go to www.runforthebadge.org. That's runforthebadge.org. And it'll give you all the information in terms of how to sign up, how to register. If you want to join as an individual or as a team member, uh, please, we encourage you to come on down and participate in what we hope to be a great community event. You are one step ahead of me, John, as usual. Um, And actually, uh, I want to follow up with, if I can't attend the race in person, is there a virtual option? Yes. 
thanks for asking that, Nikki. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there is also the opportunity for someone who can't make it down to the event or isn't going to be in D.C. that day. You can participate and either run and walk wherever you may be and as, as a virtual participant. Um, when you go to that website, runforthebadge.org, it'll explain how you can register in that capacity as well. And for those of you out there who are virtual couch potatoes like me and you want to just support the event, feel free to go on the website, get the address, cut a check, and you can contribute as a virtual couch potato, much like I do. So um, all participation is appreciated and valued, um, whether in person there at the event or remotely or at a distance by way of virtual. What a fantastic event for such a great cause. You know, you guys at the at the Memorial Fund do such good work. Um, and I've heard you have a new announcement with regards to your board. You have a new addition. That is correct. Yeah, we are honored. We uh, Subsequent to commemorating the 15th year of 9-11, we announced that former Attorney General John Ashcroft is now the chairman of the Board of Directors for the National Law Enforcement Office's Memorial Fund. Uh, we are extremely honored to have General Ashcroft on board. Uh, Nikki, as you well know, the general prior to his service as our country's attorney general under uh, George Bush uh, 43's administration, he also served as the attorney general and the governor um, in the great state of Missouri as well. So Attorney General Ashcroft brings this sort of combined local, state, and federal perspective as well as experience to our Memorial Board of Directors, which we think is extremely important, especially since for those out there who aren't familiar with the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund, uh, we are comprised by all of the national law enforcement organizations. So in addition to FLIOA, we have uh, NAPO, FOP, the National Sheriffs, um, IACP, uh, Police Unity Tour, Concerns of Police Survivors, uh, the Troopers Coalition, and I think I covered, and of course, Noble, great organization as well. So um, we bring together the, the folks in, in, in Pat's capacity, the executive directors and the presidents, and we oversee this wonderful organization that's dedicated towards uh, both honoring the memories of those who have fallen, as well as sort of explaining and educating the public on the role of law enforcement, um, what it entails, what it involves. And we think the general, and, and being a very strong, a man of strong faith, we think that also um, is an important component in terms of what he can bring to us. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, I think our country could use a strong dose of faith. And uh, the general, in addition to his leadership, his experience in law enforcement, I think being a man of faith will also be a great contribution towards uh, the leadership needed to help not just move our organization forward, but reunite the law enforcement community with the general community at large. Well, it sounds like you guys have a great team put together over there. Um, you have one more more campaign that you guys are working on, the Build Our House campaign. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. So, you know, I mentioned the Law Enforcement Museum. Uh, obviously, good intentions uh, don't build buildings or museums. We, we need money. We need fundraising vehicles. So what the Build Our House campaign um, is targeting, in effect, is uh, reaching out to the men and women in law enforcement across the country to get them to want to buy into sort of like have a claimed uh, uh, an ownership, if you will, a brick ownership. In, in the construction of the museum. So this initiative is being led by uh, the founder of the Police Unity Tour, Pat Montori, a great man, and Harry Phillips, equally great, and the executive director um, of the Unity Tour as well, formally. And both of the, these honorable men are going out and meeting with the leadership of the different local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies and departments across the country asking them to share the opportunity with their men and women to engage in what would be a bi-weekly contribution, $4 bi-weekly by way of payroll deduction, for a period of 36 months to raise a little over $300 um, for this initiative. And by joining this Build Our House, being a part of this building of our museum, uh, the members will receive a lifetime ticket for admission. Uh, their name will be listed on what we refer to as the Thin Blue Line uh, donor exhibit, exhibit in the museum and a 10% discount at the uh, museum store as well. So it's a great initiative. We want to get everyone in law enforcement dialed into um, the museum campaign. You know, Nikki and Pat, the great news is that 
we did secure the financing uh, to build the museum. So right now, you know, absence Murphy's Law and other little pests that impact plans and good intentions, we should have our museum built, hopefully, by the end of the summer of 2018. So we all know how quickly time flies, but we are on a very noble course. Uh, the construction, as I mentioned, is already underway on E Street. That's where the museum is going to be built. And the Build Our House campaign is a great initiative to get everyone in law enforcement to buy into a unified course, because we all need to sort of participate and embrace the importance of this museum. This is the way where we're going to bring in the public. We'll have an opportunity to show the public what it's like to be a law enforcement officer. And I can just say, just in talking about the museum, the thing that really appeals to me personally is this isn't going to be one of those come into the museum and, and, and stare at a dinosaur bone type of thing. It's going to be very interactive. We're going to have exhibits that employ technology, hands-on type of, of, of opportunities for those visiting to get an appreciation by way of, of a virtual experience of what law enforcement actually does. There'll be a forensic piece, a patrol piece, a variety of things that would be really hands-on and interactive. So looking forward to getting this museum built, but obviously, you know, we need fundraising to make sure it come, it, it's built up correctly to pay off, again, the, uh, you know, the interest associated with the financing for the museum. So we're reaching out to law enforcement, the general public, those who have a, a vested interest in having this museum erected and opened, which is going to be a, a phenomenal, phenomenal museum in, in Washington, D.C. Um, and again, hopefully a grand opening at the end of the summer in 2018. Well, John, you have given us a lot to look into, and I want to continue this discussion after a break and a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, we are featuring a discussion about some of the upcoming events and the legislative issues concerning our federal law enforcement. So we're joined by John Adler from the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund and the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association Foundation, and Pat O'Carroll, who is the new executive director with the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Um, Pat, I want to bring it over to you because FLIOA is very active um, and uh, carries a big voice and presence uh, here in town. And I know you guys have a lot of legislative issues that you're looking to um, and looking to see what's going to come up, particularly in lame duck. Can you give us a, a preview of that? Yeah, Nikki. Um, I guess the first thing I got to say is, is that I've been new at this job. I've been doing it now, I guess, about three months. And prior to that, I was the inspector general at the Social Security Administration. And one of the jobs of an inspector general is to keep Congress informed as to what's going on in the agency that you uh, inspect. So anyway, it was a pretty easy switchover to come here as the executive director since there's so much in terms of legislative issues that are going on, and I'm quite familiar with what sort of the processes of Capitol Hill. And as Nikki just brought up, everyone is, is that we're going to be going into a, uh, a lame duck Congress now. Uh, we've been probably going at about 100 miles an hour going right up to the break. And um, at the break... Um, we've got a few different issues that are on the table. Um, probably the biggest issue that uh, has been taking a lot of our time over the last month or so, and John can jump in at any time that he wants, is we've been taking a look at the crime bill. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you when, a couple things on it just to lead in is, is that one of my, uh, I guess, initiatives when I came over as the executive director is, is to start having coalitions with other groups out there of uh, federal employees to see if we have mutual interests on it and things that we can help each other on. And, and an example with the crime bill 
is that we've worked with retired FBI, we've worked with Sheriff's uh, Association, we've worked with the uh, U.S. Attorney's Association, Assistant U.S. Attorney's Associations, on expressing our concerns about the crime bill. Because in this last year, what's been happening is is that between the Sentencing Commission and Commission letting out a lot of uh, prisoners early, with the president doing his um, pardons, we've been seeing a lot of influx into society from uh, criminals that had been in jail. Mm -hmm. And we're very concerned about that. And what we're looking at is, is with the crime rates going up, and uh, especially when we're seeing the crime rates in major cities going up, with homicides going up, and also, too, with the explosion of use of uh, illicit drugs that are going on out there, our concerns are a lot of these people that are coming out of prisons early are uh, prisoners that had been in there for drug crimes and, and weapons crimes. And anyway... We've been um, on the Hill expressing our concerns about this bill, and um, I think it needs a lot more work and a lot more consideration. And going into this lame duck on it, nothing happened prior to it and probably won't happen under this Congress, which I think will give Congress a lot more time to think about what are the repercussions of it. And I'll give you a little example on it is, is that what we're concerned about is, is with federal prisoners, what's been happening is, is that one, less people are being convicted, so that number has been going down. The other part of it is those that are convicted are usually the worst of the worst. And what's been happening and probably the biggest concern of our federal agents involved in this is, is that when we're dealing with U.S. attorney's offices, we're not going after the, the street criminal on a type of thing. We're trying to go after kingpins. And to go, over to go after a kingpin, what you need to do is have some bargaining power with the person that you arrest. And be able to tell that person is, is that what if you'll cooperate with this, we'll give you a lesser charge. And so what's been happening lately in federal prisons is, is that the people that are convicted are usually the worst of the worst. And those that are in there after cooperating, they're going to be getting a lesser uh, sentence to begin with. So to have a lesser sentence for cooperation and the understanding that there'd be a reward for cooperating. And then at the thought now, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to get a very stiff sentence. And if my sentence is going to be reduced or I'm going to be pardoned, why should I cooperate? And we're going to lose a major tool in terms of our investigative capabilities. And John, I know you and I have had, had discussions regarding the crime bill. Is there anything else you want to add on to, onto what Pat's talking about? <laughs> don't get me started. Uh, I don't think we have enough time in this show. No, uh, Pat, Pat, Pat did a phenomenal job summarizing our position and the concerns. Uh, you know, we certainly understand, we embrace, and are open-minded towards the recidivism piece, the need for reform in our corruption in our correctional side of things. In terms of, you know, we don't want to sort of be releasing prisoners that are mad at the world with no opportunity to to readjust or get reacclimated into society. We get that, and. We are at the table, chest and belly, to talk about that. But to sort of classify individuals as nonviolent, let them out there, and then force them onto our local law enforcement partners as their immediate problem is, 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 is delusional, to say the least, as if that's going to cure anything. You know, we have underlying problems in our society. Uh, we have problems that are impacting our lower income areas, drugs being a big one. And letting folks out earlier who were arrested with firearms, who did actually engage in, in behavior that promotes violence, is not the answer. So what my message out there to you folks up for re-election or, or going to be elected for the first time, contemplate real leadership focusing on the root problems and commit yourself beyond a soundbite towards real corrective action and leadership. And we're willing to work with any elected leader who is willing to focus on the underlying issues that plague our lower-income areas. Um, you just brought in up a really good point, John, on that is, is that one of the things that everyone has to remember is, is that not only the recidivism of it, but protection, protecting the public of the recidivism, is probation. And what we're finding from our members that are probation officers is with this flood of people coming out of prisons— there's so many more uh, people needing, the, I guess, the oversight of the probation officers that they're overwhelmed. And one of the things on it that we're finding is, is that 
In the past, oftentimes probation officers had about a year before somebody was out released from prison. And in that year, they were taking a look at where that person was going to go, where they were working, what was going to be their in, you know, involvement back in society. And that was a very important year. Also during that year, that prisoner was also given the opportunities while in prison to start taking courses and get understandings about how to be a contributing member of society when they got out of prison. But now with this influx of cutting uh, the sentence times, the pardons, et cetera, on it, there's a flow of people out. Prisons are the reduction in the number of prisoners has dropped dramatically. And what's happening with that is, is that the Office of Probation now is sometimes just getting day's notice instead of a year. And with that day's notice, they're also oftentimes not even knowing the address that the prisoner is going to be going to when they get out. And one of the things that I talked to members of Congress about a couple weeks ago was is that one of our biggest concerns of legislation that we're looking at is the Probation Officer Protection Act. And what that is is that it's hard to really believe this, and John, jump in, is, is that what happens with probation officers, if you walk in to see your client and there's another person in the room committing a crime, you don't have the authority to arrest that person. And so what's happening now is, is our probation officers are walking into residences that they know nothing about with people besides the prisoner or former prisoner in it, knowing nothing about them. And those persons in many cases become, uh, could be doing illicit drugs and then could become defensive and offensive and, and attack our probation officers. And believe it or not, the officer's is, instructions or her instructions are is to step into the hall and dial 911. Uh, it's just unbelievable. So we're using this as an example of why this bill would be good, where they would be giving the full function that if a crime is committed in their presence, that they can act. Very well said, Pat. Yeah, th this is a, a critically important officer safety issue, and it's also a resource issue. So, you know, in all fairness to our probation officers and our pretrial officers, we can't substantially increase their case case burden while, I guess, simultaneously increasing their their safety exposure. And as as Pat, you know, very well articulated, this is simply expanding their current authority to sort of clarify something that should have been properly phrased when, when the law itself was written and ultimately enacted, which is that they have absolute arrest authority, but it should also include those third-party individuals who obstruct, and usually by way of threat and violence, while a probation officer executes their, their mission and their duties. So it, it seems something like, Nikki, you might shake your head and say, well, that seems like a simple fix. But as we all know, other than maybe naming a post office, ain't much too simple in, in, in this Congress. So maybe the if we're going to make the strong push during the lame duck to get this through, again, having that balanced um, representation by way of both Republican and Democrat leadership, you know, this isn't a partisan issue. This is a safety issue. And we're hoping that our Congress will be enlightened enough to embrace this and set aside any Hatfield and McCoy type of, of sort of lingering feud feelings after the lay election and embrace this as an important piece of officer safety legislation that they can move forward. Well said, John. Um, you know, while we're talking about uh, looking forward to lame duck, you guys actually have had a, a couple of victories, one in particular uh, in the past couple of months um, that has to do with officer safety, something that you did get to work with Congress and they did prioritize and push it through this year. Can you talk a little bit about the Federal Law Enforcement Self-Defense and Protection Act for us? Sure. Yeah, that was at uh, H.R. 2137. Uh, FLEOA initiated that piece of, of legislation, coming to Congress with the concept of, uh, unfortunately, this is unfortunate that it needs to get done this way, but drafting a piece of legislation that would prevent any agency director from disarming a law enforcement officer in the event of a government shutdown. Um, leaving them vulnerable to, to all sorts of, of violence committed by the uh, criminal element. So, in effect, you would think that that's just basically another one of those basic or common sense type of things. Unfortunately, it isn't. And what we experienced at that prior, the last time the government shut down due to the funding lapse, uh, some of the agencies decided that their, their law enforcement personnel were to lock up their firearms, um, 
because they were government assets and therefore they were not authorized to use them. Well, as we all know, crime doesn't take pause and bad guys don't take pause. And law enforcement officers are confronted by violence, whether they're on duty or in their, during their personal time. And they need to stay armed, not just for self-protection, but to protect the American public. And also, as we've learned from the, the, the increasing number of attacks or threats against our homeland, we need to be ready. And even if there is a lapse in funding or a shutdown, agency directors are now prohibited from taking guns away from law enforcement personnel in good standing. When I say in good standing, someone who otherwise would be authorized to carry a firearm um, would be able to now, or would be authorized to continue to carry a firearm. And that's a critically important piece, and we're very proud of our legislative team for moving this forward and, and ultimately getting this signed into law. And it seems like every year, uh, you know, we get closer and closer to a shutdown. So having clarity on this issue is so necessary. Um, I want to continue this conversation with Pat and John when we come back from a break and a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. If you're a federal law enforcement officer, then you know to do your job, you tap inside sources. To have a voice on policy and legislation, you join FLIOA. And when you want federal law enforcement officer news and up-to-date federal court decisions, you read FedAgent.com. If you aren't reading FedAgent.com, subscribe today. It's free. Don't let this source pass you by. I'm John Adler, president of the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association, and I approve this message. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Today, we are talking about some upcoming legislation and events regarding our federal law enforcement officer community. Um, Pat was just talking to me a little bit over the break about some legislation that he's been working on. Uh, can you give us a little bit of a rundown? Yeah, I can, Nikki. Um, kind of dovetailing into what John was just talking about is, is that one, we're, we're protecting agents that are out there now in our membership of agents. But the other one on it is, is that what we have to look into is what happens when our agents get injured out there. And oftentimes what's been happening when an agent is injured is, is they have no other choice other than going on a form of disability. And what we're looking for is for them to be able to come back into the workforce, maybe not in full participation as an agent, but in another position where we can utilize their knowledge of investigative skills, et cetera, on it within the same agency and also have them be able to put more years into government service so that they'd be eligible for a law enforcement retirement. And that one is, is one of the, those bills that we'll be working on a lot over the uh, next lame duck session in Congress, and hopefully we'll either get it introduced this year or if we can't get it this year, it'll be in the beginning of next year on it. And and I guess kind of kind of going for the full life cycle of things, uh, I'd like a little bit of talk about um, former agents and retired agents on it. And yeah. one of the bills that we're working on there is, is that as it stands now, LEOSA is the Law Enforcement Officer uh, Security Act or Safety Act, I'm sorry. Um, and with LEOSA, what happened is, is that most agencies have a process in place that when an agent is retiring, that they will, if they retire in good stead and they've had, I think it's 11 years now of service, that what will happen is a, a card will be issued to that agent saying that they have retired in good stead and that they're eligible to carry a weapon. And that's very important because what's out there now with terrorism and as we found in the mall shootings and other situations like it, having off-duty federal retirees as well as, you know, federal, or as well as local and state police officers that are armed is extremely important for pushing back on terrorism. 
Anyway, uh, what we're looking at now is, is trying to have a bill out there that will make it uniform across all federal agencies that any retiree will get this form of identification and be able to be a participant in LEOSA. And also, too, is to be able to give guidelines to the states for state and local officers as they retire that there'll be some process in place or a place that the agencies can go to to get information to be able to give that type of identification out. So I think that's a really good one, and I feel that's uh, you know kind of my contribution as a retired agent is to be able to see that the future retire agents will all have the same capabilities that I have now. You guys have a lot going on right now. We certainly do. <laughs> it's great to hear, though. John, did you want to jump in on any of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I fully support what, what Pat was just talking about. I, I think it, it, it's, it's important for everyone to understand, the general public, as well as our membership out there, that the number of threats or the intent to attack our homeland, attack our citizenry, um, is as viable, as strong as ever. It's real. We've seen it. Pat mentioned the, the, the mall attack. More recently, we had uh, the bomb situation and then the ultimate shootout with law enforcement in the Chelsea and in the New Jersey area. And we want everyone to understand that as valuable as verbal judo may be, we can't keep America safe with verbal judo alone. And although our active law enforcement officers do a phenomenal job um, augmenting the law enforcement capability, the response readiness with retired personnel. And keep in mind, folks, that we're not just giving a bunch of old guys guns to go shoot holes in the moon. Uh, there are requirements with this law where you have to qualify. You have to shoot a pistol qualification course annually to show and maintain your, your, your level of marksmanship that will authorize you to carry a firearm. So there is, it's a regulated process. And it's critically important. The more good folks we have out there, armed and prepared, the safer everyone will be. Um, we don't want this issue getting caught up in any any sort of debates about the gun issues, right? And we've got we've heard all sorts of stuff about assault weapon bans and gun registrations and all that good stuff. You know, the Congress can continue to debate to debate all that, but we don't want you know the piece about retired, skilled. Uh, law enforcement officers getting pulled into that. It isn't. It isn't a part of that. These are individuals who have carried weapons their entire career. They have substantial training and judgment and capability. And these are the people, like Pat, on this call or on this show, that we want out there. We want them out there. They're assets. They're not liabilities. And they're going to help us be better prepared for the next homegrown or homeland, I should say, not homegrown, but homeland attack um, on American soil. So, you know, I applaud Pat and the FLEO legislative team for um, engaging on this topic, moving forward with this initiative, and understanding the value, the asset value of our retired members, as well as all law enforcement officers, local, state, tribal, um, and federal. So, uh, you know, Pat and the legislative team have at it, guys. It's a, it's a great mission, and I applaud what you're doing. Thanks, John. You know, you bring up a, a good point. You know, folks are professionally trained. Um, you guys have often high levels of clearance. I know that Pat has been working on an issue regarding the professional liability insurance, um, that there was a little mishap there. Yeah, Nikki, um, it's sort of an interesting one is, is that um, for many of us, I guess back in the, the late 60s, which fortunately was a little ahead of my time, by not by much, um, a uh, FBI agent named Frank Wright started a professional liability insurance. And that light became a Wright & Company insurance, which back in the 70s was really the first professional liability insurance that federal employees had access to. And over the years, many uh, federal employees became uh, clients of that company. And then interesting enough is, is that there's other companies have come out there, and, and the membership level, or I guess the number or percentage of federal employees in that company has diminished, but it's still a sizable amount. Anyway, all those who are members of it or have been members of it got a letter in the mail which was uh, pretty inconsequential, but it was just basically saying that they were bought by another company. And, and it gave a name of a company with, you know, with a pretty generic type of a name, and you just kind of threw it into the outbox. 
Anyway, a Newsweek article pops up right after that saying that that you know, a generically named company was actually owned by a company out of Shanghai, China, and it was owned by the Chinese, which then gets all of our concerns up is is that, you know, all of our personal information that we gave when we took that professional liability insurance is no longer owned by an American company, but it's now owned by a foreign company that has pretty much, you know, all of uh, our personal and, and I guess and very not only personal but medical information and other types of information that are you know go with insurance policies. So anyway, what we've been doing and one of my other I guess initiatives is is bonding together with other organizations. So the Senior Executive Association, the Association of Retired Federal Employees, and uh, FLEOLA now have been all meeting together to see what we can do to, although, try to get the horse back in the barn with the right company one, but also to prevent other insurance companies with their information from being bought without having the proper scrutiny as to what type of information was going to be out there. I got a little bit of a good side on the story is is that allegedly the Chinese company has sold Wright & Company, and it could be back on American soil, but... By now, everything has been, you know, sucked dry from the information of it. It's already out there. Yeah, I know this is this is an issue that is particularly sensitive right now, you know, following the OPM hack and yes. kind of just worry for federal employees who are wondering who has access to their information and what is it going to be used for. Absolutely. That's what we're trying to protect of all of our employees. Yeah, you know, I mean, and this is, you know, Nikki and Pat, this is very relevant for all government employees. We're all hypersensitive as a result of the hack on the OPM database. Uh, our own government came out and has accused uh, affiliates of the China government being responsible for it. You know, we also see uh, the government supposedly behind or in part promoting um, the opioid crisis, the manufacture of the synthetic piece that gets sent to Mexico to ultimately bring in, you know, horrible heroin type of drugs, um, which is wrecking havoc. Uh, So, you know, we're very concerned about that. And let's let's be very clear, because sometimes, you know, the nuances of language um, can have dire uh, effects. I'm a member of the Society of of Asian Federal Officers, and I want to be clear that when we refer to China, we're referring to the government, which is adversarial to our country. And a lot of times what we interpret uh, by way of their attacks are passive-aggressive. But that by no means defines or or sort of taints our Chinese-Americans here, our brothers and sisters here of Asian descent. And And I want to be perfectly clear on that, because... We have great concerns with the goals, the, the methods, the actions of, the, of China in terms of the government. And we hold their, their intentions suspect. You know, they are undoubtedly one of our main adversaries, country to country. But we separate that from those, those wonderful people here, the Asian-American community here, among us, serving with us in law enforcement, as business owners, as leaders, and I just want to be clear because, you know, again, unfortunately, people will misinterpret um, any topic when we refer to a particular country, whether it's China or any other country in the world. And I want to be clear what our focus is here, which are the bad intentions of the government players, not the individuals, um, the citizens per se, and, and those here in this country who are a very significant uh, part of our great melting pot here in the United States. Yeah, John, I agree with you very much there in terms of um, what we're really talking about are the intelligence services of these countries that are trying to, you know, I guess, suck up information out of this country to be used, you know, in the future. And it's what we're our biggest caution on that one is, is just the, the our own personal information and trying to keep it sacrosanct. Yeah, that, that, that's completely correct. I mean, it's disheartening to know that one of our country's top adversaries may have already compromised all of our information by way of the OPM hack. And now to add to it, you know, when if you become a proprietor of a liability insurance company, you have access to all that, all that same personal information. And, you know, we, 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 I think, are entirely correct to be suspicious, to question the integrity 
of any company that is linked to the Chinese government, mm-hmm. um, who again are clearly adversarial to the United States, and uh, it just it doesn't bode well. It doesn't. It brings great discomfort to myself, to Pat, uh, to anyone who has been uh, victimized by this hack. That our personal information uh, can fall into the hands of our adversaries, who could, by way of identity theft, you know, wreak havoc on our personal lives. So I think this is a very important issue. Uh, I want to be clear in the messaging on it, but it's an extremely important. And uh, just so everyone understands, again, the hypersensitivity to having your personal information compromised can yield dire results. And I think a lot of uh, federal employees would echo those sentiments um, and agree with you guys. And uh, I want to continue this discussion uh, after a word from our sponsor. We'll wrap up the show for today. You are listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. We are entering the last segment of our show here with John Adler from the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association Foundation and the Memorial Fund, and Pat O'Carroll from the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association. Thank you guys so much for being with us today. Um, I want to take a a couple minutes, just kind of give you a last run at, is there anything else we should know about? Any other upcoming events? Any other things that you're working on? Um, Pat, what should we know going forward? Um, Well, one of the things that I was just uh, thinking about is is that uh, our thoughts and prayers are going out to everybody in the south of uh, the United States right now with the hurricane out there. Uh, I've been getting emails from lots of friends as offices are closing down and that our agents that are out there are all activating to be able to serve the public. And it's at times like this that all of our members of our organization and all of the federal employees are at their finest when, you know, when America is facing a crisis like a hurricane. And, um, and I think it's very appropriate that we're talking about federal employees today on a on a day when so many of them are threatened by this bad weather. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm, I'm sure John is also <laughs> in agreement with you. Um, John, is there is there anything that you guys are working on that uh, we should know about, anything to bring to our attention? Well, sure. I mean, um, you know, there, there's a saying, charity begins at home. And, and, and as Pat just said, that we, we as Americans are at our best when we respond to a crisis. And sort of recognizing that the federal government promotes a program called the Combined Federal Campaign. This program brings together a comprehensive list of charities that government employees can contribute to, um, you know, again, completely voluntary in, in terms of whether they want to contribute as a one-time payment or a payroll deduction. And one of the charities, or two of the charities that I'm involved in, Actually, I'm probably involved in many, but two that I'll talk about within the context of this show, uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Officers Association Foundation, uh, which is the combined federal campaign number 54726 for those government employees out there, uh, is honored to be a part of this program. It gives you an opportunity to contribute to the FLEOA Foundation. So real fast, what does the FLEOA Foundation do? It supports the FLEOA membership um, and their families when tragedy visits them. For the families of, of our fallen heroes who are killed in the line of duty or suffer medical illnesses or severe injuries, uh, we also um, award uh, scholastic incentive awards to members' children who are entering their first year of college. We want to sort of help them. I don't know if, if kids still buy textbooks or if it's all virtual and, and digital, but I'm sure irrespective of, of, of the material piece of it, it's as expensive as, as when I went to school and when, when Pat went to school. So we want to sort of help them along to, to ease that first uh, that transition. 
and that's one of the uh, the areas the foundation is proud to participate in. We also support uh, John Clark, the, the president and CEO of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. During National Missing Children Week, uh, we host our chapters host events across the country to promote child safety, to educate parents, school officials, um, and help create what we call child ID safety packs, things to help parents better protect their children in the event of a tragic circumstance. You know, preparedness and readiness, that's sort of a reoccurring theme that we hit on during this show, and we want to make sure all parents are best prepared to keep our children safe, because they are and always will be our number one asset. So uh, I guess coming back to, again, the combined federal campaign, also the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund is also a participant. So you know, for you government employees, you've got a lot of great options to consider contributing to. Um, and again, if, if I was to float a jingle out there, uh, a broken heart you can fix at 54726. Now, I won't quit my day job, but I am promoting the FLEO Foundation, and that's how you would locate the foundation um, in your booklet, your CFC or Combined Federal Campaign booklet, 54726. Uh, we have a, a couple of other programs, uh, Nikki, going on in terms of the FLEO Foundation. Uh, we have an event coming up that we call the, Col- the Polar Cop Range. So everyone's familiar with the, with the polar bear plunge, uh, where we run into the ocean, you know, three-quarters naked for a very important cause, and we raise a substantial amount of money. Uh, well, now we're sort of taking a, a variation of this and promoting an event where we get law enforcement officers, members of the community, out to a golfing range when it's very cold and hit a couple of buckets of balls to raise money for a very important cause. So on October 22nd, uh, we're going to be in Oxford, Pennsylvania. We're going to be honored to have DEA Special Agent Joe Pierasante speak. Joe is one of our heroes who was a part of a DEA fast team who sustained serious injury in Afghanistan during a, uh, a very um, high-octane high mission. Uh, they were out there. They were ambushed. Joe, um, during, during the extraction, um, sustained severe injury to the head and performed heroically. Uh, he is with warrior spirit and mind fighting his way back to a strong rec- uh, recovery. And Joe is one of our inspirational speakers, and we're honored to have him at this particular event, which is being hosted on October 22nd at the Wincote Golf Club in Oxford, Pennsylvania. So if you're in that neck of the wilderness, come on out. We'd love to have you there. Uh, you get an opportunity to meet Joe, phenomenal human being, an American hero, as well as hit some golf balls, which law enforcement seems to like to do these days, uh, in honor of a great cause. And uh, just uh, leaning in, is uh, I can attest to what John was talking about earlier. On 9-11, we were at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial remembering our uh, those that were lost on 9-11. And as it was happening, I had the kind of interest of seeing that all the construction next door in the museum was going on. And out of, I guess, just out of... Being doing the right thing, all the construction workers stopped and uh, were quiet while the wreath was being laid for uh, 9-11, which I thought was uh, very appropriate and uh, showing how nice it was. And then the other interesting thing is is that uh, that same week, we went to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's Heroes Awards, and John and I were there as awards were given to law enforcement officers that have helped in the locating of children that have been abducted over the last year. And it's very uh, refreshing to see that the, uh, I guess, partnership between law enforcement and also the private uh, sector in terms of uh, getting together, using data matching and other sources to be able to locate children that are out there. And uh, so anyway, again, at this time of the CFC, it's a great time. There's a lot of good charities out there. And uh, it's, uh, again, when federal employees are at their best. Yeah, and, and then I and, and Pat, I want to thank Pat for, for attending the 9/11 memorial. You know that was very important to us, the 15th year commemoration. And Nikki, in addition to the 72 law enforcement officer heroes who died on that tragic day, we unfortunately continue to lose additional heroes who have sort of fallen victim to the horrible toxins that they were exposed to during the the, the rescue. 
uh, portion, the, the first responder portion, right after the attacks on 9-11. You know, we have 13 law enforcement officer heroes um, on the memorial wall, in addition to the 72 I mentioned, who died as a result of cancers that were attributed to their toxin exposure while they served at what I call ground hero. And we have additional cases pending where we're looking forward to honoring more of our heroes during National Police Week next year in D.C. Um, on May 13th during the candlelight vigil. You know, it's also a positive thing. Pat serves on the um, uh, PSOB, the Public Safety Officer Benefit Working Group, with myself. And PSOB is the program administered by the Department of Justice that issues uh, financial support to the families of those uh, government employees or, or public safety officers who are killed or disabled in the line of duty. And one of the things that we had been advocating for is to get the PSOB to embrace uh, these 9-11 cases, those who have died from the toxins, as being recognized as line-of-duty fatalities. And we're proud to report that the PSOB has finally issued rulings, proposed rulings, that would incorporate this and, and now process cases, those 9-11 cases, where we continue to lose our heroes as a result of that toxin exposure. And we're very proud of the advocacy, the other law enforcement groups, and certainly the leadership within PSOB for finally recognizing the nexus between the service at Ground Hero and the exposure uh, of the toxins and the fatal ailments that unfortunately some of our heroes are now falling victim to. So, uh, you know, hats off to all the LEO groups and Pat and the folks at PSOB and uh, for keeping the faith and working on a very important program. Yeah, we can't talk enough about how great PSOB is in terms of that between the police officers and law enforcement officers and firemen that have you know, lost their lives in service to America, PSOB gets a uh, sizable amount of money to the families of each of these uh, officers at the, upon their death and or to the individual if they're permanently injured, both of which will help very much with them, their families and themselves moving forward in life. Uh, also, too, there's scholarship availabilities for their for them and for their family members. Uh, I got to say, of my ancillary duties, this is one of my most favorite ones to do is is to go there and to see the reward going to those that gave the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, amen to that. And Nikki, if I can squeeze this in in closing, just one more local event that would appeal to our, our viewership, I think. So going back to the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial, we have worked out uh, relationships with many of the professional sports teams to promote and host law enforcement appreciation events. The Washington Capitals has been one of those um, professional teams that has hosted law enforcement appreciation night um, during their season. You know, it will be coming up on hockey season relatively soon. And as an additional incentive, and by the way, anyone can buy tickets in support of these events, you can find the schedule on the memorial website at lawmemorial.org. Uh, for the Capitals themselves, I will say that for those who bought tickets to the last Law Enforcement Appreciation event, they gave out the coolest challenge coin you could imagine. So uh, great events, part of the ticket proceeds goes to the National Law Enforcement Memorial Fund. Um, and it's a great sort of bringing together uh, the law enforcement and general community to root on the home team and, uh, and have a very positive, you know, enjoying evening. Um, watching a, a professional sporting event. So I encourage all of you to um, take a look at lawmemorial.org. I think it's the fourth rotating picture on the homepage, and you'll see the law enforcement appreciation events and a schedule. And that schedule constantly changes and updates um, as the engagements are, are, are finalized um, and different, different games and different venues across the country um, continue to host these events. So a very positive thing for law enforcement and the community that we're looking forward to. Thank you so much, John. Thank you to both of you, Pat and John, for being with us today. Uh, incredibly important um, events coming up that folks can go out and join, can contribute to. So thank you guys for coming and discussing all of your recent initiatives and the events coming up. This is all the time that we have for today's show. Thank you all for joining us. And Fed Talk is brought to you by Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. Have a great weekend.